You want to know why you can't tell that nice dude you love him? I want to say it, but... You're scared. Exactly. If you say it and things don't work out, what then? I really care for him, and I'm just worried I'm going to lose him. That's stupid. You're stupid. I forgive you. Oh, my God, thank God. Besides, anything beautiful is worth getting hurt for. Well, it's very well put. You know who said that? No. Me. You're good. God. I wish I were more like you, Prince. Finish your pancake. Let's get to work. Oh, it's really good, but I'm um, super full. Pancake. Okay. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Electric word, life, it means forever, and that's a mighty long time. But I'm here to tell you, there's something else. The afterworld. A world of never-ending happiness. You can always see the sun. Day or night. So when you call up that shrink in Beverly Hills, you know the one, Dr. Everything will be alright. Stop reading so fast. I am never going to catch your ass at this point. No. You can just... You are... I'm convinced you are cheating. There is no way you finished 52 books already. Yeah, I don't really know how I did it, but it's amazing what you can find the time to do when you decide that's what you want to do. Well, I believe that, but at the same time, I also believe that... uh, Andrew Buckle is probably the league leader in hearing the words, not now I'm reading. You know what? At the moment, his face is just like in a Goosebumps book almost every second of the day. So (laughs) he's too busy reading Goosebumps. He's on this like mission to read all of the Goosebumps again. So he's pretty busy with that. Well, shit, if you were reading Goosebumps, that could have been at like 60 by now. Nobody told me this was a possibility. Well, I don't think there's any rules on the type or length of book, but, you know. Yeah, it's, it's all coming into focus now. I know exactly how you do this. I and have not read a single Goosebumps book. That's what just, you say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you watch. I'm going to be at 60 by the end of May. Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 157 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast of my movie-loving website, thematinee.ca. Your home for cinematic passion and perspective. On episode 157, we are doing something uh, very different than what we usually do. We're not going to sit and talk about one feature film. We're not going to flip the record over and play the other side. um, Because there's been a project ongoing uh, through the last six months and has gone uh, into hyperdrive in earnest as the calendar turned over into 2016 about watching 52 films by women. And... Uh, for many of us who are participating, we're about at the quarter poll, and for me, it's been uh, really enlightening, it's been really, really um, eye-opening, and I thought that in this little state of flux that the calendar finds me in, in terms of new releases, um, what with hot docs on the horizon, and uh, not a whole lot over the last few weeks that I wanted to talk about in terms of new releases, that it would be great to do a show and kind of see where we're at, see how things are going, and... Um, talk about women in film so for that i have uh, brought together a panel of five men all white all over 35 um no of course not i I could not possibly do that because that would be absolutely ridiculous um as it is i had a hard enough time figuring out how i wanted to cover the series in earnest and if you've been reading the site and seeing the posts going up just kind of buddied in with the uh the watch list on saturdays Uh, That's why I decided for this episode, I needed to reach out to uh, one of the many uh, women who are deep lovers of film who have helped enlighten me over the years and who better to do that than one of my favorite people from all the way across the other side of the globe. We bring in 
the proprietor of an online universe who has been saying that not a lot of film this year has inspired her to write. So maybe after the end of this, we can inspire her to write something. Sam Akash is here from Sydney, Australia. How are you, Sam? I'm good now that the bodies of the five white dudes are, you know, safely hidden <laughs> that I killed to get on the show. <laughs> it, 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 I'm telling you, it was a great idea at the time. Um, so yeah, you are also doing this project and, um, we're just going to barrel right into it, folks. Uh, we're we're going to kind of break things up. We are going to talk about some of the films that we've seen. We're going to talk about how we came into the project and things that we've uh, reflected on since. Um, but Sam, uh, since I've been talking for quite some time since this episode began, uh, how did you first become aware of the project in general? It was actually through your podcast um, to like self-promote your show while you're on your show. Um, through um, one of your guests who runs the site Cinema Fanatic, and I'm thinking her name is Mayra, Myra. I'm- Mariah Gates. Yeah. Yeah, so that was my introduction. I followed her when she was doing her year of watching only film by woman last year, which I thought was incredible. And then I heard about the 52 film by woman. I'm thinking, well, if, if she can do a year, surely I can do 52 films. And yeah, that's how I came to it. Yeah, that was, I th- I think, I know it was on Twitter that I first became aware of it. Somebody, I one of these things that I vividly remember is that I was at a, a dance recital at the time. I was, I was at a theater here in Toronto. Um, Lindsay had said, hey, do you want to go see this evening of dance? I was, you know, I was being agreeable. I said, yeah, sure. Come on, huh? let's go to the ballet. And um, in the middle of it, like during intermission, my phone lit up and it was somebody nudging me towards this project, which we should uh, point out at this point is being spearheaded by womeninfilm.org. Um, so if you want to learn more about it and its roots and what it um, it's all about, you could go to womeninfilm.org and read all about it. Uh, Sam posts links on uh, an online universe. I've got them on the matinee.ca. So if, and there will be some in the show notes for this show. Um, but somebody tweeted me um, in the middle of this performance. So when I turned my phone back on at intermission, I, st- I saw this. And, and I think the only hesitation I had at the time was do I jump on this right away? Cause this was back in September. And I thought to myself, I'm going to wait until 2016. I'm going to do a year properly. I'm not going to start this in the fall and then go to the next fall. Um, but uh, that was how I became aware of it. And yeah, kind of like you, when I, when I saw Mariah do it for a whole year, I thought, yeah, shit, I could totally do 52 movies. That's, that's, that's easy. Now, when you, went about it did you set yourself any kind of rules in terms or not rules because there are no rules um did you set yourself any guidelines or, or parameters in terms of uh, criteria or material or pace or anything like that um my only rules were it had to be directed or co-directed by a woman so i wasn't counting writers or producers or as you know as important as those um, people are in making a film. I was just focusing on directed films, and it had to be a first-time viewing. So, I have rewatched films directed by women this year that I've seen before, but I'm not counting them towards this total. So, it was all about introducing myself to new films and hopefully new filmmakers. Was there any reason why you wanted to just basically for for the sake of getting some new material, or like, did was there a moment where you considered rewatches? No. Never? I wanted to make it a challenge, and it wouldn't be a challenge if yeah. we included rewatches. And what about pace? Are you are you strictly going at one a week, or are you just kind of clumping them up? How are you going about it? I Basically, my approach has been every time that I'm not sure what I'm going to watch and I turn on Netflix or iTunes, in those occasions when I don't have something in mind, I make myself pick a film directed by a woman. So I'm using those times where I would have aimlessly just watched another bro comedy or adventure or something I've seen before. I'm going, all right, I don't have anything specific in mind. Let's find something that looks cool directed by a woman. And that's basically been my approach. Okay, that's that's a pretty good one. Um, For me, I'm like you where I said uh, I wanted it to be first-time watches only. I didn't want to do any rewatch. I have a few. And... The funny thing about that, actually, with it only being first-time watches, is that 
it took a few of my favorites right off the board because I'm fully caught up with Sarah Pauly, who's one of my all-time favorites. I'm fully caught up with Ava DuVernay, and that's it. You know, like unless either one of them has a new movie this year, which they don't, uh, I'm going to go through this whole <laughs> sequence and, and keep two of my favorites. Sofia Coppola was another. I don't have any Sofia Coppola movies that I'm going to be looking at this year because I'm completely caught up with her. Oh, the other thing that I said was I wanted to focus on features. It could be it could be fiction or nonfiction, but I didn't want to count shorts. But that's that's my only Yeah, I, I'm not counting shorts either. No. That that's my only minor regret is that in focusing on first timers, um you know, some of the women that I really admire in film are just being completely left on the sidelines. And um, for me, where pace was concerned, I'm trying to keep it to one a week. I've kind of got um, the early part of the week generally is is less busy for me. So I tend to sit down either on Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday nights and watch my my selection for the week. And, you know, anal retentive Ryan McNeil does have a spreadsheet and he does have names and you know some possible suggestions where i'm trying to look through and 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 source all of these things so it's not quite as haphazard as well you know i don't know what to watch i'm going to i'm going to watch one uh, of the 52 but um well to, to to defend myself slightly i do have a list that oh, okay. a, pri- a private list on letterbox that i have of films I want to see. So, you know, I'm looking for some of them and trying to borrow them and renting them, you know, scattering them out through the year, but I'm not necessarily just watching ones off that list. Yeah. So in, in general, how would you say it's been going? Um, it's, it's a mixed bag. Um, (laughs) the, the thing that's been the most challenging is the lack of films at the cinema. Yeah. Um, it's. I've been keeping a list of films that are getting a cinema release, so at a regular cinema in Australia, theatrically, this year. And currently, there's only 17 films on that list. Yep. That's and about right. two of them have been released. No, three have been released so far. Two are documentaries, and one is Kung Fu Panda 3. So that has been it. Uh, nope, sorry. Three documentaries and Kung Fu Panda 3 are the only films directed by women that have been released theatrically in Australia this year. Now, has, have you fact, have you factored in Sydney Film Fest yet? No, because I don't know what will be there. So I'm assuming I will get a decent chunk of films um, from the festival as well. Yeah, that's where people like you and I are lucky is that we have those kinds of things available to them. Like I can't imagine if somebody was trying to do this in a smaller community in Australia, or if somebody was trying to do this in small town, North America, I can't imagine how they would go about it with just a small commercial theater, no film festival and, you know, no real resource for hard copy. Like they're only going through what's on Netflix, what's on demand, and what they choose to pirate. I ha- I I will openly admit here I did have to pirate one cuz there was one I was I really wanted to see that just could not be sourced at all and I tried really hard. So uh, I I did have to use slightly less than legal means for one of them. But you're right. Um g- getting back to my original question as far as fi- um releases go uh there's not that many more in north america and i was was looking before we started there's there's a lot that don't have a concrete release date like there's a bunch that are either in production or even locked that may either show on the festival circuit or show up before the year is out but they're not nailed down it's and, and there was a story that dropped today that between fox and sony there are no commercial um films directed by women on the slate for the next two years. I, I saw that and I kind of died a little inside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, so it, it's, that's, that's the crazy thing is on the one hand, I guess for me to kind of answer my own question of how I've been doing is it's been great to go back and, and kind of circle some of these movies that I've had in the back of my brain for a long time and give me an excuse. 
But at the same time, I would love to be able to pepper my regular weekend trip to the cinema with some of these. Um, so. There's a few coming up. Um, the Meddler is getting a release in the next couple of weeks yep. in North America. Okay. Um, Money Monster, which is uh, Jodie Foster's Jody Foster, yeah. new film. Yeah, that's getting a release soon. And I think the big sort of rom-com before, of the year is going to be that Me Before You, which is based on the popular novel yeah it's kind of funny because i'm i'm really curious to read that book just because i've seen copies of it everywhere i kind of feel like i might be getting myself into something stupid and and you know basically picking up a book that is not at all meant for me but it's just one of these things i have seen so many places that the pop culture junkie in me wants to wants to consume it and see what it's all about now the last time i had this happen to me i read twilight so I may be setting myself <laughs> up for something really, really bad here, but we'll see. Have you read it's it? It's not. Yeah, I have. It's it's fine. Like it's it's nothing amazing, but it's I don't know. It's just like a really readable, entertaining sort of romantic tug at the heartstrings sort uh, of book. It's I don't you're know completely about this. readable. Wait a minute, you I'm don't not do, sure. You don't Brian, do tug at the heartstrings. What are you talking? How did you do this? Oh, uh, you know. What, what do you say? Like, what did you just say about wanting to be up with the pop culture thing? You know, I see people reading and I'm like, I want to know what this thing's about. So I read it. Yeah. Did, did you feel, you know, you felt, you felt something where your heart is supposed to be? Yeah, I did get a little bit of a tinge near the end. You, know? you don't get tinge. Now you're just lying. I'm pretty sure I'm getting a little bit soft in my um, advanced years, right? I'm, I'm starting to, to cry. Occasionally. Wow. Oh, my goodness. When I goodness. watch movies. Holy moly. Uh, um, yeah, the end is coming. <laughs> that's true. Um, yeah. And they, well, the other one that's coming that I'm looking forward to, um, it's it's another one that doesn't have a release yet. And so I don't know if it's going to show up at something like TIFF or something like that. But um, Anna Lily Emmerpour, the woman who did A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which I adore that is one of my favorite most recent uh, films uh, directed by women she's directing a movie called the bad batch which is described as a love story among a community of cannibals based in a texas wasteland awesome i am all over this movie and like um the guy who plays cal drogo on uh, game of thrones he was just aquaman in the in the um for like 10 seconds in the superman movie um he's in it jim carrey is in it keanu reeves is in it it has a really killer cast and um i'm i'm really really looking forward to that movie so that's one i do hope drops in theaters um before the end of the year um but give us a second we're gonna take a quick break and come right back and we'll actually talk about some of the movies we've seen right after this heard about 49 just east of harlem dougie gonna be there but you got to call call him even the soldiers need a break sometime so sam and i uh well we've seen one film in common sam is uh you know as to be expected a little bit ahead of me in terms of the overall tally because makash is a keener uh i have seen 16 films so far sam has seen 20 25 jeez um 25 films in uh you know 16 weeks uh and of those 25 we have one in common so we may as well start there um because for the first time this year we both watched orlando uh directed by sally potter have you had you seen anything by sally potter before i would actually have to look it up i'm not off the top of my head uh she's ginger what else is she directed? she's ginger and rosa that's sally potter um the other one that she's most famous for is a film called yes uh, with I've the, seen Ginger and Rosa. Okay, so yeah, so there we go. So you know, we, it, it's it's not something, it, it's not a director who is completely foreign to both of us. Although you know, Ginger and Rosa, I saw one time just when it came out. Um, Orlando, you said to me when we were preparing for this show that it kind of struck you in a weird place. How did you tell people what Orlando is about, and then how did you take to it? <laughs> I don't think you want me to tell people what Orlando is about because I am not entirely sure what Orlando is about. It's a kind of a twisty Tilda Swinton playing many parts film that I don't really 
not sure that I understand. And I kind of watched it when I was a bit tired. And at the end, I was like, huh? But it's, it's based on a Virginia Woolf novel. Yes. And um, <laughs> I think you should do the, <laughs> the synopsis of this one, right? Well, the, the, the hitch about it all is that Orlando in the story is... Um, he, he's a, I don't want to say he's a nobleman, but he's a well-to-do young man in the past. Uh, I believe it's about like 18th century or so, maybe 17th century uh, nobleman. And, um, you know, he, he's the regular kind of Shakespearean man about town. His father wants him to get married. He doesn't really want to, but then a pretty girl comes by and he is able to live for a long-ass time. He lives from at least the 1800s, maybe even the 1700s, all the way through to the 20th century. And midway through, just for the hell of it, our hero Orlando changes sexes. Now, the cool thing, and this is in the book too, by the way. This is all straight out of Virginia Woolf's text. The cool thing, of course, is that with Tilda Swinton doing it, she plays him as a boy and then later as a girl. Uh, You know, and it's all Tilda Swinton and just there's a moment where he just goes in and has his little Alice in Wonderland eat the magic mushroom moment. And out he walks, he goes, oh, no, same person, just the new sex. And you're like, okay. Um, so I, yeah, I, I was with you. I was kind of just barely hanging on. And at first I, I thought it was just complete role reversal. Like I thought all the women were actually playing men's parts and the men were playing women's parts, but I was like, Oh no, it's just Orlando. <laughs> That's doing the other thing. Um, so I, you know, I dug it. I don't know if I would throw that one on for kicks, uh, but it's certainly a cool, um, a, a cool way of tackling gender roles. And the fact that it was a woman that directed it makes it that much more fascinating. I think. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting, and and I love Tilda, and she's, you know, as we know, she's so talented at just changing herself into whatever character. Um, that she's playing and I, I loved watching her but I honestly feel like I need to read the book mm-hmm. um, and then need to rewatch the film having a knowledge of the source material and um, maybe not being quite so tired because I did find the story quite hard to follow but yeah I do appreciate what she did with the film. Well, I, I think if we've established one thing that it's you have time to read the book. So, you know, just get it from your library and away <laughs> we go. Uh, another one that you watched this year that I have seen is uh, you watched, and I think actually it was your first one. Uh, you watched Ava DuVernay's I Will Follow. How did you take to that one? Yeah, I thought that was quite lovely. Like it was, um, it's very small scale, but it, it did kind of speak to grief in a very personal way and i thought it was yeah i thought it was quite beautiful um, it's a film you like that is a film that i liked a lot um well that was my first experience with her coming away from selma like i watched that the weekend after i saw selma for the first time so it was able to get me to back up and see her from the beginning um I remember it also being featured in the Roger Ebert documentary, uh, Life Itself. There's clips from I Will Follow, and she talks about when she brought it to Sundance and she got Ebert to go see it. Um, You know, (laughs) I'm an unabashed U2 fan. Anytime you name your movie after a U2 song, you have my attention. Uh, And (laughs) and as I said... It was one that I I just jumped all over and, you know, took it off the board for this whole project. And I kind of wish I hadn't um, because it was like you say, it's it's really intimate. It's really uh, personal because uh, it deals with loss and it deals with that kind of mixed up feeling that we all feel after loss. Another film actually that uh, DuVernay produced or executive produced actually played at TIFF last year called five nights in Maine. And it's the same idea where like somebody loses somebody uh, unexpectedly and they're, they're really, really mixed up. And I feel um, that's something that, uh, that, that she and the director of, of five nights in Maine do really, really well. Um, you know, just to kind of close out Ava, have you seen her other one? Have you seen um, middle of nowhere? No, it's, it's on my list. Hmm. So um, I will definitely watch that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you uh, do you have a favorite of all the ones you've watched so far this year? 
Yeah, probably a new leaf by Elaine May. I it's haven't even heard of that favorite. one. What's what's that one about? It's basically about um, a man who is needs to basically get some money. He's he he owes money. He's he's completely in debt, and he's his creditors are coming calling basically. And so he sets out to find a sugar mama, huh. and that's the only way he can think of. Um, you know, getting himself out of debt. It's hilarious. It is so funny. So, yeah. Sorry, why is he looking for a sugar mama? Is he, is he, is he like a schlub? Is he... Well, he's just lazy for one, so he doesn't really work. And um, he, he has like rich relatives, but they just refuse to help him out. Okay. And so he, and he has a loan that he, he has to pay back. And for him, like finding a woman to marry that's the easiest thing he can think of and it's it's kind of funny and sweet and ridiculous and it, it goes to places that you don't expect it to go you kind of think it will just be this guy trying to rip off this woman but it actually kind of gets a bit muddled and kind of sweet and it has a actually really wonderful ending hmm the cool thing about it too is that it's one of the uh few examples that we have uh between the two of us where the director is directing herself. Yeah, and she's great in it. She's amazing. Okay, I, gotta, I think and I'm going to try and track that one down before the year's out. Yeah, I'm definitely trying to planning to watch her other films. Um, there's a I don't know if you listen to the Film Spotting podcast. I do, but they are doing an Elaine May marathon this year, so they're watching her four main films and talking about them. So I'm a little. I believe they've actually done all the episodes with them. So I'm a bit behind. But mm, good, luck with, good luck with good luck with Ishtar. Films. <laughs> <laughs> good. Well, it, it, of actually, of all the ones I've seen so far, the only one I have where a woman directed herself uh, was actually also my first one, uh, By the Sea, um, which is also one of the rare occurrences where a woman directs her husband too. There's not that many um, that has happened throughout history. Um, and it's actually that that's a kind of movie I'm, I'm kind of thankful for the series because I don't know if I would have actually sought it out. I heard a lot of bad things about it, um, which are, I'd say half true at best. Um, so I, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for the series to kind of get me looking at different directors and Angelina Jolie. I knew I didn't like unbroken. So I was like, well, it's by the sea or nothing. So that was that was one that I was kind of happy to track down. Yeah, I really want to see that. It's not available here on um, DVD or rental yet, and I missed it at the cinema. So I'm, I'm definitely keen to catch up. Yeah, my biggest, um, my I wouldn't say my biggest surprise. Like my my the best result of the series so far, sixteen films in. Um, I'd probably say it's Water, directed by Deepa Mehta. Have you ever seen that movie? No, I haven't. So, uh is Canadian. She's um she she's uh, of Indian descent, but she's a Canadian director and uh, I believe this actually qualifies as a Canadian film. Um although it's all completely set in India um in the run up to the great popularity of Mahatma Gandhi um you know after after the revolution from the to to free them from the um, British Empire. And it's all set in this this community that's something in between a convent and a brothel, if that makes any sense. Like the women who live there are all supposed to live very, very chaste. Um, but at the same time, some of them are actually pimped out. And it's like you're seeing this whole thing happen. You're like, dear God. Um, one of them is a younger woman who's like late teens early 20s and of course your heart just goes out to her because she's obviously capable of so much more she gets the attention of a young man and she's also trying to take uh, like look after one of the youngest who are brought there so the idea is that in this culture once a woman is widowed she's not supposed to remarry she's not supposed to remarry she's not supposed to uh have another relationship that's just like if you're widowed that's it which you know, okay, first of all, that would suck in its own right. Um, but when you consider that also in this in this uh, culture that women marry very, very young, 
you can have widows who are in their early to mid teens. Um, one of them who shows up at this convent is like 13 years old. And that is just obscene. So the story is of these women and, you know, the, the politics of this community, but it's all just absolutely gorgeous, like really well shot, really well acted, really well directed. And it had been like in the background, like one of these movies I wanted to see for a long, long time. And I finally got around to it thanks to this series. Well, that sounds pretty amazing. I've never heard of it. So I'll um, definitely add it to my list. Yeah, she directed recently. She directed the adaptation of Midnight's Children, the book by Salman Rushdie. Um, Okay. Water is actually part of a trilogy. She also has fire and earth to go along with it. Um, and she's also really well known for uh, Bollywood Hollywood um, it was a movie that she did a few years ago but uh, yeah Deepa Mehta um, Canadian uh, so you know <laughs> hometown represent um, that would probably that would certainly be one of the ones that um, really really jumped out for me uh, this past year we also both saw one of the films you saw this year that we have both seen um, was Cleo from five to seven Tell people about that because that was that's a film that I think is really, really kind of one of the pillars of women in film. I, I really enjoy Cleo from five to seven, which yeah, I was quite surprised about. It's not really my genre, French New Wave. Um, but it's about a young singer who um, it's we join her at around at five o'clock and she's finding out um, later on in the day at 6.30 if she has cancer or not. So it's basically just two hours of her life, the first hour and a half um, following her, and she just doesn't know, like, you know, is she going to find out she's dying? And, like, did that one – how did that one sink for you? Because that's one that's really – like you said, it's not really everybody's bag, the French New Wave, where it's just kind of following somebody around and living with them in this – Parisian lifestyle for a little while. I found it really interesting. I don't know. I think it was her. Don't know if it was the writing or mm-hmm. the character or the, the actor, you know, the combination of the actor and the writing. There's just something utterly compelling about Cleo. And I, I wanted to know, like, did she have cancer? So I just wanted, I just keep following and I was like hanging on, like, to find out what happened. I found it, I don't know, really compelling. And maybe because there was that kind of threat of death hanging over her and made it slightly more interesting than the average kind of just pretty wafy looking French Parisian new wave sort of thing. It's kind of funny because on the one hand I want to tell people how it ends, but on the other hand, I don't want to spoil the ending, even though it's a, you know, 40 or 50 year old movie by now. Um, But that's one that, that actually came up for me when I did an episode dedicated to, blind spots and Amir Sultani here in Toronto um, brought that up as a blind spot that he watched for the first time and that he was the first one to underline it to me as um, an icon of feminist cinema which I hadn't like I, I hadn't considered it that way at the time but as soon as he said it I was like well hell yeah that makes total sense because here's somebody who you know society would probably say should be doing this that and the other in in the run-up to finding out about this really really life-changing moment for herself but in the meantime she's just living her life the way she sees fit in this two-hour block for a film that's you know from the 60s it's a really refreshing film yeah it's it's aged amazingly it's 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 actually aged a lot a lot better than some of those french new wave ones that are kind of a hard pill to swallow we're gonna take another quick break we'll be back in a second we'll talk about some more Women in Film right after this. back sam akash from sydney australia i'm ryan mcneil in toronto canada we're talking about the 52 women in film project uh launched by womeninfilm.org watch one film a week directed by uh, female directors for 2016 both sam and i have been at it um you know we're extolling the virtues of a lot of these movies and even movies that you know you or i may not have been crazy about but the one thing i think is kind of needs to be 
underlined is that this is all well and good, but at the same time, I don't think it's fair that a movie just gets a free pass. If it's directed by a female, it's like, you know, on the one hand, yay, it's good. We're, we're supporting a, an area of film that needs a lot of support. But on the other hand, a disappointing movie is a disappointing movie. Am I alone in that? Or have you had moments where you've settled in for something and you've thought to yourself, uh, I, I'm going to have a hard time getting behind this one? I feel exactly the same. And then sometimes I kind of feel like I'm a traitor to my gender because I'm looking at the synopsis and say there might be three films I'm choosing from and one's directed by a woman and I read the synopsis and I'm like, I really don't want to watch that one. I want to watch one of the other two, but (laughs) maybe I should watch that one. But then I don't, then I feel guilty if it feels like a task, you know, shouldn't. It should be something I want to do. So, yeah, I definitely... Yeah, definitely know where you're coming from with that. Was there was there an experience going through the project where you had that come up, where you were watching one, you're thinking to yourself, you know, I I I I know what I should be feeling here, but I just can't get behind this. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I've watched, I've been trying to watch some Australian films hmm. directed by women. To okay. s- um, and one of my friends has got a really amazing collection of Australian films, so. I've watched a few of those and a couple of those have been pretty rough (laughs) and I'm watching them and I'm like, oh, it's a local film and directed by a woman. So I'm like doubly awful for not liking this. (laughs) Can I confess mine? Because I really felt bad because this is a movie I thought to myself, I absolutely should be getting behind this. I really have no excuse and I felt so terrible that it just fell flat for me. Did you see last year um, Suffragette? I did. You did? Yes. Uh, and and d- did you care for it? No. Yeah, <laughs> I okay. I like it very much. Good. All right, good. So I don't feel so bad. But that's the thing, like, okay, that subject matter, directed by a woman, with, like, you know, it clobbers the best shell test. It's got some of the best acted – sorry, some of the best actors working – in it and i'm like this film is just so toothless that i can't get on board and i'm like i wanted it so badly to be that movie you know that everybody could rally behind and i i felt so guilty i watched every last second of it and just tried to find the virtues but at the end of the day i was just left so empty and you know i i think that's an important part of this is that while it's important to dig up um, films that are by um, cultures and, and by by storytellers that are outside of your own window. So if you are, you know, if you're a white moviegoer, then by people of color, if you're, you know, if, if that, that kind of thing, if you're a guy, go find films by women. Um, films from other other cultures, other languages. It's definitely important to get outside of your comfort zone and and try something different. But sometimes a bad movie is still just a bad movie, and it's it can't be heralded just because. You can look for virtues in it and just kind of underline the virtues. But I think that's that that's what I'm saying at the end of the day is it, I don't think it should necessarily get a free pass just because. No, and we're doing, you're doing yourself and other people a disservice if you mislead people or yourself about how you feel about a film just because you think you should like it. Yeah, and and, and the thing is, that's true of everything. Just because, like, you know, let, let's take it to, to the opposite extreme. Let's take it to, like, the one of the most represented uh, uh, things that's happening in films right now. If you are a fan of comic books, a comic book movie shouldn't get a free pass just because it's based on your character. You know, it's if you are, you know, if, if you're trying to support, um, your the film the films of your country, same sort of thing. It shouldn't get a pass just because they're playing for the home team, and it's 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 a hard pill to swallow because you really want to be supportive, but like you say, if you're if you're shining it on and you're not being honest and you're not saying well this and this and this are good in it so maybe see it for that but on the whole you might want to see this other stuff first i think when you kind of 
don't you're not honest with yourself and others about about films especially when you ask for an opinion when you actually do have something you want to get behind your opinion might be worth less because you've kind of said half half truths about things if you know what i mean oh totally you want to save your praise for for something that you're like yeah this is amazing see this yeah yeah exactly and and there you know you're you're hopeful that it's a deep enough talent pool and i actually think uh, it's a surprisingly deep talent pool for anybody who thinks that it's it's kind of hard to come up with 52. It's really not, actually, especially when you when you open it up to the cinema of the world. Um, it's a pretty deep bench. And, uh, it, you know, if, if one thing doesn't work for you, then just, hey, move on to the next one. Have you had any trouble tracking down the films themselves or have they been coming to you fairly readily? It's become increasingly difficult with, I'm going to sound like I'm really old, but um, with video stores, DVD rental stores, pretty much a thing of the past now. Yep. You can't just go and, and find these films. A lot of them are not available on iTunes. And here in Australia, our online, well, the online services that we can legally access have such small libraries. I mean, Netflix Australia has about 1,200 films in mm. total. So it's it's quite difficult to find a lot of these films and just, yeah, I really, really wish right now I could go down the road and browse a DVD rental store because I know that would make this a lot easier. So one of the sources that's worked for me, I don't know if it works for you as well, but what's the uh, movie selection like at the public library in Australia? I have actually never looked, so... So maybe there's that. That's that. That was what I found um, really helpful in Toronto. Um, I believe it's kind of helpful in certain pockets of the states as well. Is with you know the whole library being online and you can browse through their selection, uh, and, and of course usually you can get stuff just held for you too. So it's not even like you can you got to track it down. They'll bring it to your closest branch and it's kind of like the video store in that respect but better because you don't actually have to pay any money well you know your taxes are paying for it anyway um that's been helpful uh for me but you're right tracking a lot of this stuff down is tricky in the age of in the post video store age um the other thing that's been difficult is i don't really understand why studios are precious about catalog titles you know what i mean like okay so i understand saying something to the effect of if you want to watch the force awakens it's only going to be on itunes for the first six months you know if you want to watch it at home you got to go to itunes i get that but after it's a certain age its value is really, really diminished. So I don't really know why studios are so precious with what they decide to license to what. I would be more uh, ready to give my money to a company like Netflix or to Amazon or to one of the cable providers if I knew that they had a lot of these back title movies instead of having to subscribe to hulu and amazon and netflix in the uh, you know in the off chance that i want to watch fat girl or cleo from five to seven or orlando or something like that does that make sense yeah no definitely it's it seems that they have little to lose from letting people see these older films and particularly if they're from filmmakers maybe not really like not even necessarily really really old stuff just stuff from the last sort of 30 years where maybe those filmmakers or people in those movies are still working and films that they're still selling like surely there could be some value to them in that when i asked around about uh, doing this episode um somebody asked me um what i've learned from doing this so far uh so I'm, i'm gonna pose that to you have you learned anything out of this yet I think I've learned, well, maybe not learned so much, but just the the bias that, you know, the gender equality issues have just become so more apparent to me now that I'm trying to watch these films, now that I'm trying to find them. And when I go to a catalog and, like, 
95% of the catalogue are male-directed films, or I go to the cinema and there's not one single film showing directed by a woman. Or like you mentioned earlier, like these studios announce their slates for the next two years and there's no female directors on them. I think it's just reinforced to me like how important this sort of project is and how important seeking these works out are because if we don't and there's not a people wanting them then they won't get made it's already so hard (laughs) yeah i think one of the things i've learned is there's uh, you know there's kind of a a pigeonhole or a stereotype that studios seem to be more willing to drop female directors into like looking down the list of the 16 that i've seen almost all of them are relationship movies you know like like a man and woman relationship movies um there's one or two that are outliers and i'll get back to them in a second early on a lot of the more period movies too like there were a lot of corsets early on in my series uh, if i if i if i see britches or corsets or a carriage again anytime soon it'll be way too soon um but that that that's one thing that i learned another thing that i learned is it seems as though some very very prominent um filmmakers were not exactly blackballed but they were backbenched a little quick so the last one that i watched uh just this past week was Stop Loss, directed by Kimberly Pierce. And Kimberly Pierce, um, you know, most notably directed Boys Don't Cry. Uh, she directed the the remake of Carrie a few years ago. We didn't really hear from her much after that. She's only done two or three movies. She's done a lot of TV. TV is doing a lot of better for these filmmakers, but uh, but Features is not. And it feels like a lot of these filmmakers aren't given the kind of rope um that uh that their male counterparts are you know you were you know we were talking a moment ago about elaine may and elaine may notoriously directed ishtar which was one of the biggest box office bombs of all time but and and that essentially ended her career but meanwhile kevin costner can go out there and make Waterworld, which is just as huge a bomb although it made money um, and, and he's still working away just fine. You know, a, yeah, guy, it's... A, guy, a guy a guy tanks and oh well, on you go. A woman doesn't even tank but just underperforms and it's like, thanks for showing up. It just seems that there's a, there is a thing in Hollywood where a, a white dude just needs to make a good to okay film and then people will take a chance on him like um, guy directed Jurassic World, Colin... Colin Trevorrow. Trevorrow. Yeah, like, I mean, his pre- his film before that, Small Indie Darling, yep. which I really didn't like. <laughs> and then he gets a chance on, you know, this massive film that's now, like, one of the biggest moneymakers ever. Like, how many women get that chance? Well, and, and, and he's, you know, he's being given a Star Wars movie. Yeah. Well, okay, no. further to that, and here's here's one that's a little closer to home for you is I don't know if you know you you probably heard the story of who's directing the next Thor movie. I do, yeah. Yeah, Takai uh Watiti, who directed What We Do in the Shadows, um, which don't get me wrong, both you and I adore that movie, but if you saw that movie and thought to yourself, this guy di- should direct a, a Marvel movie. You you know you'd be laughed at. That is true, but I'm less annoyed about that because he is a person of color, and how many directors of color are behind superhero films? Yeah, but he's still a dude, right? Yeah, but uh, I I I'm a I'm a little bit more. <laughs> You're succumbing yeah. to the hometown bias. That's what's happening here. There is a little bit of that, but honestly, I, I think it's great that a director of color is going to be behind one of these films. So, yes, would I prefer it was a woman? Of course. Yeah. I want to see um, females get these opportunities in these big budget films, but a Kiwi director of color? Hell yeah. yes, I'm going to get behind that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the other thing that was not surprising, I'm not going to say surprising because that, that, it absolutely didn't surprise me, but the one thing that was really cool to see so far is twice over I've watched films in this series that um, were I would describe as 
Macho. Um, Lords of Dar- Dogtown, directed by Catherine Hardwick. Um, you know, of Twilight fame, there, there's that title again. Um, and Stop Loss by Kimberly Pierce. They're both very, very macho movies. And I don't mean to say that they're like guy movies. You know, they're not Terminator. They're not Rocky. They're certainly not Fast and Furious. But when I put them, you know, like both of these movies. So, for instance, I'm looking at them on my letterbox page right now. And Lords of Dogtown is flanked by Orlando and Bright Star. One of these things is not like the others, if that makes if that makes sense. And it's really kind of cool to see because I, I again, I think that when you think of women in film, you think, like I said, you think about corsets or you think about relationship movies or you think about coming of age. Um, which are all, you know, the stories that we're all going to see. But I think it's cool that you've got these moments of, of concrete, inarguable proof that even if you're making a so-called guy's movie, that there's clear examples that women are absolutely capable of making these kind of movies. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think a couple that maybe not strongly as, I guess, masculine or aggressive as those two, but a couple I've seen, um, Meek's Cut-Off, which yeah. I watched this morning. Such a good um, movie. So good. Um, I mean, sure, there's we've got female characters in it, but that's not a rom-com. <laughs> no, no. That is that is a great film. And Sherpa, which is a um, documentary about um, Everest and the sort of commercial climbing and the treatment of the Sherpas. Um, fantastic film. Yeah, uh, you know, I saw when I saw that you were watching Meek's Cutoff. Meek's Cutoff is, it's a stark western. It's like that is, it's one. It's one actually of my favorite modern westerns. Um, it's really not like a lot of Kelly Reichardt's other movies. Although, did you see Night Moves? I did. I thought it was great. Yeah, because you know it's similar kind of. They're they're similarly tough movies. Like both of those are really really tough, as in you know, um, brutal, harsh kind of kind of movies. Um, I think that's what I've learned is, you know, there's the like we just said, there's this movement afoot to get more representation in uh, the blockbusters, in the in the comic book movies, in the franchise movies, and. You know, there's this fear, I think, in the studios that a woman's just not going to get it. And to anybody who says that, I would say, no, watch something like Stop Loss or Meek's Cutoff or any of these. And you'll totally see, you know, exactly what you're looking for and just extrapolate it onto a damn comic movie and away you go. Yeah, I mean, I... I would. I want to see a, a comic book movie directed by a woman, by a woman, but at the same sense, like there are far more interesting stories to be told. So I would just be happy for more interesting, kind of mid-budget films that actually get to the theater. Well, it's funny you mention that because this has been a long, ongoing conversation that I've had with several people, and I say conversation. Sometimes it's turned into a full-on fight. Um, but, um, the, the question has been when it comes to, you know, assigning direction to franchise films and wanting to hand it over to, to some of these female storytellers, not whether or not you think they can do it, because I think we've inarguably proved that they absolutely positively can. The question has been, do you want them to? So I'll give you a, for instance, would you rather Kelly Reichardt spend four years of her life making uh, the next Wonder Woman movie? Or would you rather Kelly Reichardt spend the next four years of churning out two Kelly Reichardt movies? It's, it's a hard question because the impact of Kelly Reichardt directing a superhero film on female representation in the industry and on could be far will be far greater than the impact of two no doubt interesting films that I would die to see that she would make yeah so there's no it's not an easy question to no answer. no and that and that I think that's why it's caused more than one fight um 
I, I the best answer I've been able to come up with, and and it it very much ties in with your answer is, at the end of the day, I think it at the very least should be up to Kelly Reichardt if she you know it's 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 the difference between turning down an invitation to a party and not getting invited in the first place. So, yeah, I I think that's the thing is on the one hand, I would absolutely love it if Jane Campion just stuck with making Jane Campion movies. And I can't believe we've got almost an hour into the show and Jane Campion is just coming up now. Um, But, uh, you know, I I think that Jane Campion could make a fantastic uh, Superman movie. Lord knows she couldn't do any worse than Zack Snyder. (laughs) <laughs> but at at the end of the day, I I I want Jane Campion to make far more interesting Jane Campion movies because I think that that she does that really well. More so though, it's up to Jane Campion. You know, if she, if she wants to do them, absolutely, it's it's up it's upon Fox and Marvel and Warner Brothers to ask people like Kelly Reichardt and Ava DuVernay and um and, and Jane Campion if they want to make these movies, and it's up to them to say yes or no. DuVernay is a classic case, yeah. right? Like she was in the running to do Black Panther. And at the end of the day, she said, no, thanks, because I don't think that this is going to be the right fit for me. But at the very end of it, it was up to her. So I think, I, you know, I I guess that's the end of that, that. That's really where I am with that. But I also feel like until we actually have a conversation or an occurrence where it's not just a woman directing a woman oh yeah centered film or a person of color directing a film with a a, a superhero that is not white i want to see a woman directing iron man 58 or whatever you know i i until that that conversation is a real thing that's something that's happening it's still feels a bit tokenistic to me yeah that that's you know like my my hope is that i'm around to see it like every generation there's a we move the markers down just that little bit more and that little bit more um one of the things that i've i've had other conversations about is the new generation of filmmakers that are coming in um a lot of them are actors so you have women like Julie Delpy and Chloe Sevigny, and there was a story earlier last year that Jennifer Lawrence wants to direct, and of course Angelina Jolie. Now, did all of these women go to film school? No, not all of them. Does that matter? Maybe. You know, there there are women out there who did go to film school and did put in really hard dues and are far better behind a camera and storytellers than Angelina Jolie or Jennifer Lawrence, but you know because they already have their foot in the door they might be able they might be in a position to do more good even though their talent is not does that make That's sense funny that, yeah and actually talking about that i i was reading this morning about um katie holmes okay as just directed her first film that's actually got reasonably good reviews it just premiered at tribeca oh so uh, there's another example. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and and that like that's that's the crazy thing, right? Is for every one of these actors who make it, and that, and that's the crazy thing too. We don't bat an eye when Kevin Costner decided he wanted to direct or Mel Gibson direct, decided that he wanted to direct or Robert Redford or on and on and on. Any male actor who just up one day and says, "I want to get behind the camera." Yeah, sure. Off you go. Make your movie. Here's your Oscar a lot of the times because Hollywood loves it when actors direct. Looking at you, Ben Affleck. Um, But meanwhile, if it's a starlet, you know, if it's somebody who's, you know, just as much up there for how they look as it is for what they do, we're a little bit more gun shy. And I. Yeah, and also the judge more harshly like i haven't seen by the sea but before the film had even come out everyone was calling it a vanity project yeah meanwhile if you know if brad had directed it we wouldn't probably wouldn't have said that no yeah um i i think like that those those have been the biggest surprises for me is is kind of considering these things but also hoping that that every step is you know leads to two more steps behind it if that makes sense. Yeah, I think just got to keep, 
you know, when you get the opportunity or when there's a film you've been told about, seek it out, watch it, and if it's good, tell people about it. Just, like, encourage people to seek new things. Definitely. So if there's one movie or one or two movies uh, that you are have, like, kind of circled coming up that you're really looking forward to in your own uh, series, what are, what are you most looking forward to seeing in the next, in, like, the weeks ahead? Oh, the weeks ahead. I don't or, know or about like, the weeks the, ahead, before, but before going the, back to before Kelly the 52, <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm nailing you down. Um, before your series is over, what are some of the ones that you're really looking forward to finally seeing? Oh, you've got to give me a second here. Oh, well, so I, I was going to say, okay, I'll, I'll get started while you're looking up your own because I kind of have a few answers in my head. Um, well, speaking of, you know, speaking of comic book movies, I am looking forward to seeing uh, Lexi Alexander's Punisher Warzone because it's the only blockbuster movie i really have in my whole list i'm also definitely looking forward to bell after seeing uh beyond the lights bell is so good and that was and, good. and she's got another film no you've got the directors confused no the it was the actress from bell is in beyond the lights oh, I, yeah uh, yeah yeah so she's she's in both um, and so, yeah, after, cause I loved her in beyond the lights. That's a movie that really does a lot of things all at one time in terms of representation. Um, but bell is another one that I'm really looking forward to. And, uh, Meadowland by Reed Moreno. I follow Reed on, um, Instagram. It's not just for posting pictures of books anymore. Um, and she takes such amazing images um, she actually does a lot of work on the TV show Vinyl with um, Bobby Cannavale, the HBO show. She's such a good cinematographer that I really can't wait to finally get my mitts on her uh, directorial effort. That's the other crazy thing is for all the movies, I'm 16 deep in this series now. And I think only one or two of them were ones that were also shot by women. And I, there's one that I know you don't like but I actually noticed the difference in the photography with it being a female DP, uh, Palo Alto. Um, I know you're not crazy about that movie, but I know. I know. But there, there were a lot of moments where I thought to myself, I can't help but think that a guy would have shot this differently. And that's actually what's making this really special. I hated the cinematography in that film. Oh so no! That was I really you hated, hated it. I, you, oh man! You, you, <laughs> let's you're not talk have to about turn it in your card I, by the time we're no, done with this. Podcast. I hated it. I'm sorry. <laughs> what are some of the ones that you're looking forward to? Um, I'm looking forward to finally watching Love and Basketball. Oh yeah, uh, Gina Prince Bywood film. Um, that's yeah. I haven't seen that, so I'm keen to see that. Um. Looking forward to going back to Strange Days, Catherine Bigelow. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been one that's been on my list for ages. And uh, Claire Denise's View Travail. Yeah, I, I'm woefully underexposed uh, on Claire Denise. So Beau Travail is on my list as well. And uh, I'm definitely looking forward to that one. Um Catherine Bigelow, you know, I, I would have thought that I'd be finished with her canon by now, but uh, I haven't seen I haven't seen um, Near Dark or Blue Steel, so I actually have options where Catherine Bigelow is concerned. I'm kind of excited about that. I haven't seen either of those either. It'll, you know, at the end of the day, it'll probably come down to which one is more readily available. Yeah, that's the truth. There we go. So, you know, if, if somebody was on the fence about doing this project, like I guess. You know, people could probably hear it in the whole conver- nature of this conversation, but you would definitely suggest that somebody give this a go, um, try and track down uh, either women that they hadn't heard of before or hadn't just hadn't taken the bait. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even if you don't make the 52, yeah. the fact that you're trying and you're looking out for it just means that you're more aware of these women filmmakers. And that is a huge start. Definitely. And, you know, as, as I said, at the end of the day, both of us are really enjoying what we're getting from it more often than not, even with 
the work involved and trying to track them down and, and, and whatnot, you know, I, I, we're, we, we should say we are doing this without re- resorting to illegal means. If you are the sort of person who does not even think twice about illicitly obtaining a movie, you're going to have a far easier time. So maybe that's the, that's the kicker. Um, but that's about it for episode 157 of the matinee cast. We're going to take a few weeks off for hot docs, but uh, please do come by the matinee. Um, we're going to have a lot of coverage of some really cool movies and, you know, talk about female filmmakers. Um, they are making just gigantic inroads in the world of nonfiction. Uh, I, I, we're recording this on Friday night. I've already watched six movies for hot docs and four of the six are, are female filmmakers. So you can really see some incredible movies um, by women if you uh, if you love some nonfiction, and we'll tell you about some of them. Um, Sam, of course, writes well sometimes at an online universe. Has do you think anything is going to catch your fancy sometime soon that people can look forward to? I'm gonna go and see Midnight Special tomorrow, Ooh, okay, which I've good. been looking forward to. So hopefully that one gets the uh, the creative juices flowing again. Nice. Um, and if people want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? Yeah, it's at Sam underscore Makosh. Very cool. My site is matinee.ca. For more podcast content, you can find back episodes by going to matinee.ca slash podcasting. You can find them on Apple's podcast app, Stitcher Radio, Pocket Cast, which Miss Makosh is a huge fan of and tells me when it's not working. Blueberry, the iTunes music store, and everything gives you ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when episodes drop feedback on any of the films we've talked about if you're doing your own 52 and you want to tell me how it's going or you've got ideas for movies or filmmakers i should track down um i'd love to hear about it uh find me at ryan at the matinee.ca twitter where i'm matinee underscore ca or facebook.com slash dark matinee miss mccosh any final thoughts before we uh we let you get back to your uh your goosebumps have fun at hot dogs i'm really looking forward to reading some of your write-ups on the films especially the ones directed by women they'll be coming hard and fast starting on uh, the 28th i believe of may but for sam i'm ryan we'll see you at the matinee Wow! Wow!